0: Another day, another dollar, makes you wonder where your money went, you can't scream. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with you another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world. The changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't, dictated is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Wednesday, June 24th. If my memory serves me correct, and sometimes it fails me, this should be episode 227 it might be 226. I don't know. I um, had to deal with technology failure today. Uh, the little modem that runs my DSL for me had the DSL light on. It uh, had all the lights on except the one that says Internet. So my service is there But was not functioning It went down last night About 10 o'clock And uh, of course I couldn't log on To my account To report the outage And didn't feel like Sitting on the phone So I guess I'll do it From work So I had to go through Some of my old notes And put together A show from the past Redone Now I guess The good news about this Is it made me do Something I was asked to do By two different people uh, Two different folks Get with me and say Hey I'm." I'm either, one was a bow hunter And one is a guy That wants to be a bow hunter And so we, both, we both These guys basically said same thing listen to your show about bow hunting long time ago the audio sucked back then. Yes, the audio sucked back then. You're correct. Uh, would you consider redoing that show or revisiting the topic now that your audio doesn't suck anymore? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about archery and archery hunting, and I'm going to use my uh, show notes from that. And It's one I can really pretty much do from the top of my head, so the Internet handicap won't be an Internet handicap today. Uh, before I uh, get into that, though, let's do the house cleaning, and let's talk about a few things. Number one, um, last time I looked, I had 1,604 votes uh, to appear on the uh, Freedom Watch show with Judge Napolitano on Fox News, making us the number two most requested show uh, since they've been running this, this little system or poll, which looks like it's been for a very long time. Uh, so it's a big deal to be way up there like that. Uh, the only people outranking us were these poker guys. And uh, what I'd ask is keep voting for me if you can. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, there'll be a link in today's show notes. Cruise on by there. takes just a couple seconds to vote. If you have a little bit of extra time, consider registering as a user with their service and making a comment, because I think comments will help a lot more than just votes. I'd really like to get on that show. I think it's a good fit for what we talk about here, and I think it'd be a big boost for, for the show, for me, and I'd appreciate it if you could help me out there. But I also think it'd be a big boost for our community, and uh, let's face it, folks, I, I, I don't mean to 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 my own survival podcast horn or anything here, but when you see the typical survivalist gurus that they bring on these shows, they always, I don't know, they're always doomsdayers. And and, and they always seem to do more harm than good. Hannity recently had one on. People asked me what I thought of it. I've held off till now, but I mean, the guys on there all seemed to me like they were trying to make a buck, and they were sensationalizing everything, and and they, I, I don't know, and they sent this clueless blonde reporter out there to talk to them, and you know, the guy says, there will be a weapons of mass destruction attack on the United States. It will happen. Oh, when? Oh, within the next five years is a definitive statement. What an ass cloud. I mean, you know... So I, I would like the, the chance to uh, to spread a little bit of sanity and explain that not all of us are doomsdayers and that there is a philosophy of survivalism that's beyond, well, we need to be ready, we need to be prepared, that's also, well, we need to live better lives today. We need to understand how to live within our means. And we're not driven by the economy, like we keep. everybody keeps saying. It's, oh, the economy, that's why these... Bullshit! All right, I was living this way before the economy tanked. I started telling people to get ready for the economy to tank before the economy tanked. It's a nice thing about being on record here. So if you can help me out with that, I would appreciate it. Next, um, sponsor of the day. Tactical response gear. Uh, good guy, James Jaeger, Had a little bit of controversy lately. If you ever wanted to get an answer um, to the video that you may have seen with him, uh, not with really him, but at his school, and I'll leave it at that. You can look further if you want to. Uh, he's got a response on his YouTube channel that's absolutely awesome. And let me just say, what was called unsafe by the unknowing in that video was a hell of a lot safer than some of the ways that we trained in the military. Uh, I'll just leave it to you at that. And if you want the best training, uh, James is your guy as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, again, always remember that our advertisers are vetted by our moderators. They don't just get to be on the site because they spend money with us. It takes a little bit more than that. They have to go through our ad council, and every advertiser that you see on my site is a personal endorsement from me, backed up with an approval process by our moderators, which there's about 30 of them now. So 2 out of 30 is not a lot, but 2 out of 30 kills it. All right, uh, next, if you think you get more than a quarter's value per episode, consider joining the member, support Regade, and get exclusive content available only to members. And with that, let's get into the show. Um, oh, one more thing: If you haven't listened to the Brew Crazy podcast that I did yet uh, with Johnny Max, uh, let me. Know, you know, I would go ahead and listen to that. I, I, it was a really great podcast. Uh, Johnny's a great guy. He's got a lot of great ideas. And if you want to learn to homebrew, his show's the one to listen to, especially his early editions. Um, but I think you, you would enjoy. He's entertaining, in addition to uh, to being very information oriented, and uh, actually taught me a thing or two about. Uh, permaculture and aquaculture so uh that says he's got some expertise as well in our world so let's uh, move on from there let's talk about archery hunting today and let's talk about archery hunting as it relates to survivalists and as it relates to just you know hunting in general and using archery as a method for that uh, i'd like to start out by telling you how i got into the sport I had shot a little bit. I had a little one of those little, you know, kid bows down in Florida before we moved to Pennsylvania, and had a little target. And at least I, had, you know, knew how to draw a bow, knew how to hold the fingers right, knew how to release, and could put an arrow on target. But I, I wouldn't have really considered myself an archer yet. And at 13, uh, same summer that I would turn 14, we moved to Pennsylvania from Florida. And I went up early with my dad to help him when he looked for a house and helped my grandparents that were starting to have some kind of hard times keeping up the little homestead and all. And... um, I had an uncle there that was huge into hunting, hunted every single day that he could, fished just about every single day that he could. And right after I got there, he says, are you going to go hunting this year? I said, of course. He said, well, you got to take a course, get your hunter safety, whatever. He says, what about archery? I said, can I go? I mean, I really didn't think I could even go, not because I wasn't allowed to, but I didn't think you know that I had the equipment, uh, that anybody was going to spend the time. He's like, well, I'll take you, but you need to get a bow, and you need to start shooting now. right?" And this is like... Very, very early June, and archery season starts in October. And I said, well, why do I have to start shooting nice? It's because you have a certain um, code of ethics that you have to live by if you're going to be an archer, and I'll, t- I'll talk about that in a little bit. But... Basically, it was that you have to practice a lot, and you have to, I have to be confident that you are capable of putting the arrow where it belongs when it counts, and you're not going to cripple a deer. So you need a bow now. So we will take you down to shop, and you can buy a bow. And I said, I don't have any money. So I'll tell you what, I'll buy you a bow. Your grandmother's going to have lots of chores for you. Uh, you pay me back. So I said, okay, deal done. So we went down and got my first bow. It was a Jennings Lightning. I doubt they even make that particular model anymore. Uh, Set at 45 pounds of pull. I was a little guy at 13. Uh, Got a dozen arrows. Six for practice. Don't hurt them. Don't damage them. Because if you do, that's all your practice arrows you got. You need six for hunting. Six field points and six satellite broadheads. And uh, went home, uh, picked up some hay bales on the way back through the farmlands uh, that we paid a farmer a couple bucks apiece for, set them up in the backyard, put a paper plate with an orange dot on there, and started practicing from day one. And practiced every single day that I was free to practice. Come home from school, go practice. You know, during the summer, we'd work all day. I'd go practice when we got done working. I'd get up in the morning, practice a little bit, and I got very very proficient with the bow over that period of months. And uh, actually the second or no, it was the third day that I was in the deer woods hunting, I took my first deer, it was a doe, you know, small 120 poundish doe, Um, but I was proud, I was so proud of that, and I was hooked, and I was hooked for the rest of my life, and since then I've shot quite a few deer with a bow, and uh, some other large game, medium game with the bow. And I've shot a lot of game with, with the rifle. And I've hunted with the rifle more than the bow, uh, especially recently because of the time constraints that I'm under. And when I get to go hunting, I want to you know, bring some meat back. You know, kind of like, you know, more of a guarantee that I'm going to um, put some meat in the freezer when I do take you know three or four days a year to hunt as opposed to it used to be three or four months a year to hunt. But what I can tell you is it's never been... The same with a gun. I don't care how big the animal is. I don't care how much of a trophy it is. I don't care how hard I've hunted. I don't care when I've crawled up over the crest of a ridge, my knees cut, my arms aching, my shoulders aching, and I've been in pursuit for a week straight, and I feel like I'm going to die, and I get that long 250, 300-yard shot, and I make it and drop the animal clean. That's cool, but it's not like bow hunting. So hopefully that makes you at least curious as to what this sport is like as a hunter. Let's talk a little bit about your options for your bows. What types of bows uh, are available? There's three main types of bows available today. There's a longbow, a recurve, and a compound. And um, longbow is probably the most ancient form of the bow. These are the bows that when you watch, uh, you know, old movies about Robin Hood, and they have these great long uh, limb bows, and they just look basically like an arch. Uh, it, an arch, I guess, maybe is a better way to describe that. But they just kind of bend from one, they bow out, and they bow back, and that's it. And there's a string connecting the two. Um, longbows have a, a really huge history uh, used by a lot of uh, armies in the past, the archer is not really part of modern warfare. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit when I talk about uh, broadheads and what it would be like in modern warfare with modern archery equipment. I think it would be uh, kind of horrific, actually, And uh, but I mean, the longbow was the tool of the warrior and the tool of the hunter. And various versions of the longbow and the lengths have ranged from very, very long to relatively short. But we basically call anything a longbow today. that's just got straight limbs, uh, no pulleys and a string connecting those two straight limbs. The recurve was kind of an improvement on the longbow. And there are longbows that have huge draw weights, and there's longbows with relatively mild draw weights. You can say the same about recurves. But what the recurve really allowed the the bowsmith, the bow manufacturer, the bowyer to do, was to build a shorter bow... With an equal pull weight, because the recurve and a recurve of these bows, no pulleys. Again, it's just limbs, but you see it starts to kind of arc back or bow back, and then you see the limb kind of reflect back out, right at the end, and uh, that's allowed lighter bows. Well, I wouldn't really say lighter because usually they're laminates and they actually have some more weight to them, but shorter bows with 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 fairly heavy uh, draw weights. And usually you can get some fairly light recurves as well, and that's one of the big advantages for the hunter or for the survivalist is weight. And then last and uh, certainly not least, because most modern archers use these, is the compound bow. The compound bow is the one that you see with the pulleys and the cams on it, and it looks like it has multiple strings, but it's really one long string that weaves in and out uh, of these pulleys. There's, there's two chief advantages to a compound bow. One is you can generally get a hell of a lot more speed with modern compounds and the cam actions that they have at an equivalent draw weight. So um, a 50-pound compound will generally shoot an arrow faster than a 50-pound recurve or a 50-pound longbow. And the other side of that is that you get what's called a mechanical advantage. So, yeah, you're pulling 50 pounds on that 50-pound bow or 70 pounds on that 70-pound bow right until about halfway through the draw. And when those pulleys roll over and the mechanical advantage is applied, you'll have let-offs that go anywhere between some bows at 30% at the low end to as high as 60 to 70% let-off. So let's say it's a 50% let-off bow and I pull 50 pounds, but I have to hold the, the draw back for a while. Um, or even just if I'm holding it back briefly at that anchor point, um, I'm under a lot less stress because instead of holding 50 and releasing 50, I'm holding 25 and releasing 25. So those are your three bows I won't go deep into them Because I can do a whole show Just on those types of bows But Let me say that there's There's a special thrill For the primitive archer Using the longbow Or even the recurve And shooting instinctively And Uh it's up to you where you start. I can make a case for starting with instinctive shooting and a recurve or a longbow, and I can make a case for starting with a compound and instinctive shooting, and I can make a, state, uh, a case for starting with anything with uh, sights on it. I personally first learned to shoot with sights, and I'm going to tell you, if you're going to be going out in a relatively short period of time, a couple months, on your first hunt, um, you'll probably be more confident with sights. And confidence is going to be key because putting an arrow into a hay bale at 20 yards is pretty simple and you'll learn to do it pretty fast having your heart in your throat shaking, sweating being sure the animal hears your heartbeat because you hear it so loud while the animal twitches and moves and you're waiting for that one perfect opening and putting the arrow where it matters then is another thing and uh, I think that sights give the archer more confidence in that situation. But I wouldn't fault you for taking either uh, stance. It's kind of like the old conundrum. Do you teach a kid to drive first with a stick shift or an automatic? Teach him to drive a stick, he can do anything. But you're already taking your life in your hands out there on the road with him. You're giving him more things to think about. You start out with an automatic. All he's got to remember is brake and accelerator and steering wheel and signal. Right, don't worry about clutch, which gear to be in, downshifting, upshifting, pulling out, stalling, thinking you can pull out, stalling off the vehicle, burning out your clutch on you, you know, all those different things. So, you can make a case either way, and I don't think you'd really be wrong either way. Then the other option, I think an option that a lot of archers, especially traditional archers, see as kind of cheating, and I think it's mostly people that have never actually used one, is the crossbow. And, uh, what I mean by that is, a lot of people think that if you have a crossbow, it's like having a rifle with an arrow. And I'll talk about some realities of ranges here in a bit. But let me just say that the crossbow is a good tool. Uh, a lot of states that don't get enough archery hunting activity are starting to allow the crossbow. Arkansas is allowing the crossbow during their entire archery season. When we move there permanently, I will purchase a crossbow. I may, in fact, do that this summer and start playing around with it uh, because of some uh, injuries that I sustained while I was in the Army. Archery hunting is also a challenge for me now because I have some pretty bad shoulder injuries and I might be able to shoot for a week and then I'll pull it just the wrong way, not quite the right uh, way when I'm pulling the bow back, and I can aggravate that injury, and it'll cause me pain for up to a week, and uh, I don't like to take that risk anymore, so for me, uh, because kind of a a small disability, I may be better off when I have the option actually hunting with a crossbow, and it has its own advantages and disadvantages, but what are the advantages of all of these methods, longbow, recurve, crossbow, compound bow, uh, number one, especially for survivalists, and, and for hunters this is true too, they're silent. They do make a sound. They make a surprisingly loud amount of sound. But it's not a disturbing sound to wildlife. And if you're not keyed into what it is, um, you, you really don't take it to be anything. And what I mean by that is if I've hunted with partners and a partner's 150 yards away, And when they take a shot, you know they took a shot. 150 yards away, you know it. You're like, oh, he took a shot. You know. Then you're listening to hear if you're a crash. Did he get his deer? So there is a sound there, but most people would never even notice it. And most animals might flinch from it. They might float off a little bit from it. But they're not going to run away. It's not like firing a gunshot where you have that loud thunderous crack and everything for a half a mile is like, okay, I know where you are and I'm not going there. In fact, I've seen when you shoot a deer, I've seen deer that are far out in the outskirts not realizing. They'll kind of run a little bit when the animal shot runs. But then nothing happens and they'll kind of stop. And I've seen them you know, do the foot stomp and the head bob and kind of come back in almost as they're curious like okay this doesn't seem like a threat what the hell was that? So for the hunter if if you do miss or if you're in a place where you can take two deer and you put a deer down you've disturbed the area less and for a survivalist you're less likely to give away your position Um, Number two, they are deadly. And they are deadly in ways that I think most people who have never used them and never seen what, what an arrow does to a medium to large game animal do not understand. I have shot deer, 3006, 308, 3030, 35 Remington, 357 Magnum, 44 Magnum. In the chest, all those calibers. And I've seen them do massive damage to the lungs. I have never seen them do the type of damage that a four blade broadhead passing through both lungs with a dead center lung shot does. It's absolutely phenomenal what happens to lungs, especially if you don't get a pass through and you get that arrow that goes in and then that arrow starts stays in there and kind of moves around in the lungs. I'll talk about this again more when I get into the different types of arrow points. But let me tell you one thing. Anybody that thinks an arrow isn't a completely lethal uh, method of either defense or game harvesting hasn't seen an arrow at work. It is one of the most lethal things in the world. The next thing I think there's a misconception about people who don't shoot that bows aren't very accurate, or they're only accurate in the hands of really highly skilled people. I could take a person, as long as they don't try to shoot too heavy a bow, they're willing to start at a weight that they're comfortable with, and as long as they're coachable, and I could have you grouping arrows on a paper plate at 20 yards in one day, just about anybody, unless you're blind or uncoordinated. Right? They're not that difficult to learn to shoot And even instinctive shooting won't take that long Now what generally happens with a new instinctive shooter Is they point the arrow at the target And they shoot way over the target Once they get an understanding That they really need to think about more about looking at their target And feeling the bow Even instinctive shooting is not that difficult to learn In fact, I would say That I can help a person who's never shot anything Get accurate with the bow At ranges inside of 30 yards faster than with a rifle Because they're less intimidated by it and it's a much more instinctual tool it connects more to the body but one way or another they're very very accurate uh, i've never taken a shot as far as 50 yards but i can consistently hit uh, a paper plate at 50 yards with my compound bow so that that's just about as accurate as you need and unless you're hunting on the plains you're not going to get a 50 yard shot with a bow in the woods anyway. So they're every bit as accurate as the person shooting them, and the person shooting them needs to practice. They don't need to be some, you know, they don't have to be Byron Ferguson to be able to consistently place arrows in a kill zone. Uh, they have a decent effective range. and This is where I'll bring up a little bit about the uh, the uh, crossbow. As well. For most people that practice a lot um, with a compound bow or even a recurve or a longbow, you're looking at an effective range, depending on what the shooter's comfortable with and what the situation dictates, as far as wind and stuff being in your way, of about 20 to 40 yards. And there are a lot of people out there that can shoot 50 yards with a bow and do it at game and do it consistently and they're comfortable with it. And there's some that can shoot further. I've seen guys on, you know, the Outdoor Channel take pronghorn out of a blind at a watering hole at 70 yards with a compound bow. That's a shot I would never take. I would I just wouldn't. I'm not comfortable with my ability to risk the animal out at that distance, you know, putting a, an arrow into a leg, low low leg that doesn't kill them or a a gut shot or something like that. But they have a very long effective range for what they are in the right hands of a skilled person. Again, I'll shoot about 50 at targets. I'll shoot about 40 under a perfect condition in the field, and my comfortable range in the field is about 30 yards. So how does that compare to a compound bow's range? Compound bow's range is generally about 30-ish yards. And it's for a couple reasons. One, you're shooting that, that shorter bolt, and it doesn't quite, even with a lot more power behind it, it doesn't quite get the long-distance trajectory of that, that, that beautiful arrow with its flexing and its, its, its fletching and just the way that it flies. The, the flight of an arrow is beautiful. You short it down to bolt length for a crossbow. It's effective, it's deadly, it's accurate. But once you start going past 30 yards, the, the, the trajectory becomes decidedly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, but downward. Let's just put it that way. The drop gets excessive. And uh, a compound drops a lot, but it, it, it kind of strings the drop out a lot longer. So what happens is, yeah, you can drop an arrow in at 40 yards with a, uh, with a crossbow. But if you think it's 38 the difference in the drop is, is maximized. And it's actually pointing down. Where if you estimate 40 with your compound and it's 38 or 42, you're probably still right in the, in the right area. Uh, it, it's a lot like the differences between shooting, let's say, a 3006 at 200 yards and a 4570 at 200 yards. You can get the round out there. It's still very, very lethal. But come on, 3006 is pretty damn flat shooting at 200 yards. Decided about an inch, two inches high at 100, dead on at 200. You don't have to really, you know, it could be 210, 215, 190, you name it. Uh, if you think it's 200 with a forty five seventy, it's 175, you might have a real problem. Same thing with a crossbow. So they don't have quite the advantage, I think, that a lot of people think that they do. They're not that laser beam arrow uh, that they have a reputation for being. There is a big advantage of them, though, for the hunter, and I'll talk about that in a second. But what are the things that you really need to think about as a new archer as as someone that's going to take up the sport and start hunting uh, on a regular basis? Number one, uh, follow the example that I said at 13 because I had a good teacher and a good mentor. Practice, practice, practice. Become confident. Become proficient. Know your bow. Know your body. You'll learn things during your practice like, well, if I'm in this little bit of a different position, this is how it affects my accuracy. Because you won't be standing with perfect form with all day long when you're actually drawing on an animal. You're going to have to make split-second decisions, and it will take hours of practice to learn your body to a point where you're going to be able to make that decision ethically, whether or not to release. Because once you release that arrow, there's no recall button. It's like sending that email in the middle of the night you really didn't mean. You can hit recall all you want. Once Once it's hit the other server, it's gone. And you, you really need to think about that. I'll also tell you there's a huge joy that comes from practicing with the bow. I think it's a great thing to do. I think it'll it'll bring a lot into your life if you allow it to. And I think you'll start to think differently. It's very, very centering. We have these busy lives and all these things that go wrong. And just going out and shooting a couple dozen arrows... On a given time and frame uh, it's, it's really great And that's one of the beautiful things Is In most areas with uh, the right backstop You can shoot arrows in your backyard Anywhere in America It's not like you have to take the gun out to the gun range So you have the ability to practice So do it Practice at ranges of at least 20 yards consistently And my statement is If you have the space and you can do it Without you know creating a danger or an inconvenience In your neighborhood If your effective range is 30 yards, and that's what you're going to limit yourself to in the bush. Try to practice out to about 40. And do your practice, shoot at 10, shoot at 20, shoot at 30, shoot at 40. Back to 10. 20, 30, 40. Shoot from no distances, and then over time begin to shoot, shoot at 18 yards, shoot at 23 yards, shoot at 27 yards, shoot at 24 yards, move back and forth, but always move to kind of extreme close of about 10 yards, and an extreme far of about 10 yards past what you consider your effective range in the bush. One, if you ever get like the opportunity of a lifetime and you're right at that effective you know, maximum range, you'll be a lot more in tune with whether you want to actually do it or not. And two, if you can shoot decent at 40, you'll shoot really good at 30. Everything looks a lot closer to you, uh, feels a lot closer to you. And by moving around, you'll get better at estimating ranges. Number two with your practice, at some point you've got to elevate yourself if you're going to be a tree stand hunter. Shooting from the ground and shooting from a tree stand are not the same. We used to set up hay bales behind the house to shoot off the roof. And uh, shooting off the roof is entirely different. The arrow travels entirely different. You got One thing with an, as an archer, you have to visualize the arrow passing through the vitals. You don't just see the point of impact on the deer. Where's the arrow going to go? Hitting the the deer very low, which would would look like maybe a heart shot, Um, when you're high up in a tree and the deer is relatively close, let's say six yards from the bottom of the tree, you may pass under or over the heart and get very little of the lungs. Because that arrow is pointing down. So you have to visualize where the arrow goes in and where the arrow comes out and how it will intersect the insides of the deer. So you need to get familiar with the anatomy of a deer or a bear or an elk or whatever it is that you're hunting. You need to get very, very familiar with the internal anatomy because you're not shooting the surface. You're shooting the internal organs. And a bow won't do the things that a bullet will. You don't want to hit an animal dead center in a shoulder plate trying to angle through uh, a bow. Back into the lungs, where if you do that shot with a, you know, a 3006, it's going to bust that shoulder, smash through, get into the lungs, and, and anchor that animal because that shoulder blade's gone. Uh, you can hit that, that shoulder blade with a bow and it may get deflected and may cause a very serious but non lethal injury and end up with an animal crippled in the woods. And that's the next thing I want to talk about is the ethics of bow hunting. You have to understand. So when you stand in, a, in the deer woods, or you stand anywhere, and you have an animal on the other end of that bow, and you're going to release it, and you're going to let that arrow fly, you're letting a scalpel fly through the air at hundreds of feet per second. In fact, you're letting, you know, this thing got a four-blade broadhead, you're letting four of them fly. It is a great killing tool. That's what it is. It's a killing tool. But unfortunately, if you wanted to torture someone or something... It's an incredible tool to create a massive amount of damage that's non-lethal in the wrong area. An arrow in the leg, that deer's not going to see the other side of winter, but it's going to see a long time and a lot of pain and a lot of misery. Gut shot, if you don't hit the liver, it hammers them out. You can look at days or longer of complete misery. I know that when I was a kid and I was learning to shoot and then I went out on my first hunt, I didn't care if I missed. I didn't care if I didn't get a deer. There was one thing that I damn well wasn't going to do. I wasn't going to take a shot if I had any doubt because I was going to make damn sure that I never crippled an animal. And to this day, I've never crippled an animal. I have more pride about that than any animal I've ever taken. And I'm going to challenge you if you're going to become a bow hunter, please think that way. It's a tremendous amount of responsibility that you take on your shoulders when you go out and you take flying knives in your hand and you realize the damage that you can do with them. There's some unique challenges to bow hunting too that I think really kind of make it what it is and make it special. Um One is hunting from tree stands and blinds. You know, you get up in that tree stand, you look at your range that you can shoot in, you get comfortable, you do a little bit of range estimation. That tree's 10 yards, that tree's 20 yards, that tree's about 30. Here's my shooting lanes. I'm ready to go. You sit there and wait. You wait for a deer. And then a deer comes into the spots that you really can't shoot well, and you have to try to get around that tree and see, can I take the shot? Will that deer come out? And you end up with deer in front of you in blinds and tree stands, both. When you have the bow, if you had a gun, you could have shot it a 100 times. Easy. 100 times, no sweat, simplistic, and uh, nope, can't do it with the bow. I'm talking close range. I've had deer 12 yards away, big old buck, 9-pointer, rubbing a tree branch right behind me. Can't get the shot into the vitals. Can't get around the tree that I'm in. Can't get around the branches that are around me. He's standing in the wrong direction. Walks around, plays around, spends 15 minutes within 20 yards of me and never offers a shot. It's maddening, but it's beautiful. It's special. It makes you realize what primitive life was really like. It wasn't as easy as maybe Hollywood makes us think it was. And then, you know, it's the same thing there. You have to get close. And I mean really close. Where, you know, you're hunting a deer and you can see the fly that's annoying it crawling on its ear. That kind of close. Close to where you smell the animal. You can hear the animal breathe. And you're trying to breathe quietly because you know the animal can hear better than you. That kind of close is something special. Scent is really key. Um, you know, if you're a gun hunter, you should worry about not, you know, smelling. You should keep your clothes clean and all. But with archery, that animal's nose will give you away. So we used to do things like I'd pack all my clothes into a tub or a bag, and I'd throw a bunch of pine needles in there with them. This is the days before cover scents and things like that. We had cover scents. We didn't have, like, a scent block or scent, scent eliminator stuff. So you'd drive out and actually get dressed before, right before you walked in the woods. So you didn't have any... Um, unnatural scents on your clothing and it was still, you still have to pay attention to the wind and things like that so uh, it, it's 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 way different than, than having you know a 300 yard range when you take it down to a 30 yard range especially hunting animals like deer, that know that they're being hunted, that have evolved to avoid the predator um, getting ca- caught on the draw is probably the biggest challenge, if you think about this deer comes in At some point, you have to take the bow and draw it. And it's generally not when the shot's there. It's generally you have to estimate, okay, he's going behind that tree. He's got his head down. He can't see me. This is the time that I'm going to get the bow up and back. And it's going to give me a minimal amount of time that I'm going to have to hold the draw. Because as you hold the draw, your muscles start to fatigue. Things start going on your head. Your focus gets too locked in. All these things go on. So you don't want to be back with the bow for 30 seconds. You want to be back with the bow for five at maximum if you can can pull it off. A lot of times it ends up being 30 seconds. So he goes behind that tree and you pull the bow back. Sometimes what happens is he just stays there you got a big old oak tree blocking the vitals. And he just said, know oh, you're there. You don't have any idea. He's all happy. He's there eating his acorns and chewing his leaves. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And then all of a sudden, he picks up his face, and he goes way too fast to take a shot. But he's not in a hurry. He just felt like, oh, there's something good to eat over there. And he ends up behind a bush. And now you're still stuck with the bow back. That's one way you can get caught. And that's just being stuck. But getting caught, truly caught, is the other way. And uh, let me get this, let this truck pass me so you guys can hear me here. God almighty, you're noisy. Anyway, um, and that is when you go to draw the bow. And uh, as you draw the bow back, you make a sound, you make a noise, or he catches your movement out of his left eye, and you get the head locked on you, and you got eyes locked on you, and he knows you're there. He doesn't know what you are, because you're camouflaged, you've got your head net on, you're way up in the tree, you're not where a human's supposed to be, the wind's right, he can't smell you, but God, he knows something moved. And he locks on you, and you know you're busted. And you just, I'm going to hold out, I'm going to wait, he's going to forget I'm here. And then he starts, he puts his head down, and he brings it back up. He starts doing the head bob, and he starts doing the foot stop. Deer are big on this. They start stopping their feet. They're trying to get you to move. And in some ways, it's comical. And you're trying not to let the bow down. You're trying not to flinch, not to move, not to make a sound. And at the same time, because of this little comical act, you're trying not to laugh. And you almost, once you're busted, you almost never get another chance. Once in my life, I've gotten another chance. And it was, uh, it was with a doe. And uh, fairly young though Maybe that's why I got another chance But I let—I just went ahead with her busting me And I let the draw down So that I stopped fatiguing my muscles Very very slowly And then she did her comic act for a while And I just closed my eyes so I didn't watch her So I didn't laugh And uh, eventually I opened my eyes And she had kind of forgotten about things And went back on and, and eventually gave me another shot This happened one time And I've been bow hunting since I was 14 And uh, I'm 37 in August So it doesn't happen often. That's the big advantage of the crossbow. You don't have to draw. All you have to do is bring it up like a rifle and shoot it. And that is the big advantage. And that's something the crossbow hunters that say it's just as challenging often fail to acknowledge. Because it really is a huge advantage. And... At a close range shot, even if you're busted, as soon as they put the head down and they're not locked on, you don't have to worry about them flinching on the on the on the air on the arrow. And I've seen deer jump arrows, folks. I've seen them hit their belly and watch an arrow go over their back. They are that fast. With a crossbow, put that head down for a second. Boom! I got you. All right. So there's the advantage of your crossbow. That's the big one. The um, another one is. Uh, Tracking down a shot deer—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's something that you know you kind of have to bring those tracker skills that our ancestors all had back out. Uh, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes you shoot a deer, and uh, the woods are open enough. They're not—it's not—it's maybe later in the season. There's enough leaves off the trees, and you watch them, and you see, and they fall over, and they're dead. Uh, a lot of times, though, a deer might even be 70, 80 yards only from where you shot him, and it's it's hard to find them. Uh, they blend in with the brown leaves on the ground in the fall, the green over, over you know over top of them. You don't just see them, uh, especially if they land in a way that kind of the white uh, outline of their tail or whatever doesn't show, and uh, it can be challenging to find them, even well placed arrow and good blood. So this is my advice to you: never, never, ever. I don't care if the the deer goes, and I've had one went about 15 yards and fell over. Look at the ground between where the shot is and where the downed animal is. Learn to look for sign on a shot animal because one day you're going to need it. One day you're going to put that arrow where you think it's perfect, and it's going to be good enough to put them down, good enough to kill them. They're going to go 120 yards on you. You're not going to see where they go down, and you're going to need that skill. So hone that tracking skill. Look for blood. Always carry toilet paper in the woods because you might need it, right, just for what toilet paper is for. But it's also a great way to mark blood sign. As you start to follow a blood trail, to put down a little piece of it anywhere you see blood, it will suck the blood up and make it very, very visible. Uh, good high-powered flashlight for when you have to track after dark. Deer blood shows up very good after dark. And even if you're sure the animal's down, give them at least 10 minutes. 20s probably better, to bleed out so you don't walk up on a raging, dying animal that comes at you. Because you can, and it has happened. The other big challenge is time. Bow hunting takes a lot more dedication and time than rifle hunting. That's why I don't do it as much as I used to. Um, so for the time-challenged individual, uh, it's, it's a lot harder of a thing to do. Time is also an advantage, though. How could that be? Um, a lot of states might have a rifle season of two weeks or four weeks. Texas we have a huge, long season. There's so many deer, and uh, they're in such unpopulated areas all across the south. It's like four million deer in the Texas herd. So Texas is not really that big a deal, but like in Pennsylvania, uh, when I was a kid, uh, buck season with the, with the gun was two weeks. Archery season was uh, about six so you get a lot more time to hunt, so that offsets it. On arrows, I won't go deep into that today because, again, that could be an entire show if I wanted to do the archery podcast. Uh, but basically, you've got carbon, aluminum, and wood are your three big ones today. Um, a lot of like traditional archers like to use a wood shaft, and I think there's some beauty there, and there's, there's something special about it, and it uh, connects us to our roots. But you step up into the compound world, and it overpowers wood. It just can't handle the stresses of some of the speeds. I guess there's some arrows that could, but you're probably better off shooting carbons or aluminums. I've shot both carbon and aluminum. I I really got to tell you, I think carbons are a lot flatter shooting, um, and I like them overall as far as their speed and uh, impact a little bit more, but I I really don't think they matter that much. Um, I think carbons are less likely to bend and break. I've actually never had a carbon shafted arrow break that I've shot an animal with, and I've had quite a few aluminum arrows break, and, and most of them bend. So I think you'll get more longevity out of your carbons. Um, what to do as far as getting set up, I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but the next thing I want to talk about are the broadheads, or the points uh, that you would use when you're shooting. Um When you look at just broadheads in general for hunting big game, there's really four kinds. and Anything will fit one of these four, and some of them will be two of the four. And those are expanding, Uh, four-blade, three-blade, and two-blade. I don't know that I've ever seen a five- or a six-blade broadhead. I don't know that you would ever need one. I'm sure somebody's done it because they thought it was cool and more is better. Uh, But they're all good. And the big thing with your broadheads is to make sure that they are razor sharp. And I'm talking each blade should be capable of shaving the hair off your arm. And when you buy new ones, it's usually not a problem. They come that way. Expanding broadheads used to get a really bad rap. Okay, because the old expanding broadheads, and I'm talking 30 years ago, were basically spring-loaded. And they would hit, and then they would kind of blow out from behind. Where the new expanding broadheads, broadheads are actually opened by the impact, and it forces the blades backwards, and it allows you to get a much more, um, the, the arrow will tend to be easier to tune shooting, and it will shoot much closer to the exact way it shoots with a field point on it, which is a practice point. Uh, I've used expanding uh, broadheads, never had a problem with them. I've shot boar. I shot a 275-pound uh, Russian boar with an expanding point broadhead, and pass-through shot absolutely no trouble, totally lethal, so I'm a believer in expanding broadheads. I'm also a huge believer in the old traditional, you know, Fred Bear style two-blade. Um, I don't think you need a lot of blades, because what happens, that arrow is spinning very, very quickly, and it basically cores a hole through the animal. And that's why I said I would talk just a little bit about what it would be like if modern archery equipment was ever used in mass-scale warfare. And what I'm talking about is, Way back in the days when archery was part of warfare, when archers were a big, uh, you know, of a military brigade, you had your archers, and, and they were a big tactical piece of your military unit. This is the days when people would go to war with, you know, 100,000 or more warriors uh, in, a, in a single clash. And they used these bows at the time that simply didn't have the... Uh, very, very sharp blades of a broadhead. And they did a lot of damage, they killed a lot of people, and they killed a lot of game, too. But to me, after seeing what, you know, a four-blade broadhead does when it's dumped into a chest cavity of a deer, I think one of the greatest blessings of mankind is we never developed, you know, what I would call modern archery equipment during the time that archery was used in war. It would have been a weapon of mass destruction. I, I can only imagine what... You know, a brigade of a thousand archers firing modern arrows, you know, modern style arrows, modern style broadheads, you know, at the, you know, back in the day of, you know, days of Napoleon and further back. Uh, In fact, Napoleon were into firearms. Let's go back to, you know, the days of the Huns and the days of the Roman Empire and the days of the skirmishes, you know, between uh, the different clans in Scotland and things like that, what that type of force would have done and the hell it would have unleashed, uh, I think we'd still be reading about it today. So anybody, again, that's ever questioned the lethality, I just don't think you realize what what the tool really is and what it's capable of. Um, hunting small game is also another thing that maybe uh, we should talk about briefly here at the end. Um... There's a couple different tips you can use for that. Uh, there's hard rubber tips. that are basically like a little mini rubber mallet, and they kill by impact. Uh, there's what's called a judo point, which kind of does the same thing, but it's got these little spring arms on it. And they're really cool because they don't, like, slide underneath the grass and disappear. Those little springy arms keep the arrow from going and burrowing itself underground when you miss that rabbit. And then another way to do it is to just take some epoxy and take some old arrows that maybe have uh, seen better days uh, with their, their ends and uh, cut them and refletch them and put a 38 caliber or 357 uh, magnum or even a 9 millimeter pistol case and epoxy it to the end. Uh, absolutely deadly on like rabbits and squirrels and things like that. And uh, a lot of people that hunt small game will use uh, a fletching on their arrow, a special arrow with fletching fletching would be the feathers on the back side of the arrow uh, that are larger than normal and they're designed to actually decelerate the arrow and again minimize arrow loss. Uh, so those are just some different options you might consider what are the rewards of being an archery hunter number one there's nothing else in the world like it i've talked about that quite a bit today so i won't belabor it but i'll tell you that there is no other experience that compares at least to me with being you know 12 yards away from a deer and having to make the shot count when it counts it's, uh, it's pretty freaking amazing, and I would say, without exaggerating, it's kind, of, uh, it's kind of spiritual. You really get to know game and patterns. If you ever end up in a survival situation where you're going to depend on hunting, even if you go to using the gun, the archery hunter is going to be more successful at harvesting game when it comes down to survival than the person that's only been a gun hunter. Uh, longer seasons in some cases, higher bag limits. Uh, A lot of times, you know, a state might have a limit on deer or a limit on whatever, and if you archery hunt, you can get an additional tag and not just get more hunting time, but you can then pick the gun up and hunt in, in gun hunting season, and you actually have a higher overall limit. It's not a lot of places, but it's in some. Uh, The next is just a great skill. It's a wonderful skill to have, and not just being able to shoot the bow, but all the skills that go with it. If you want to talk about, you know, we don't talk a lot about wilderness survival, but if you want to talk about being in tune with the earth and with the wilderness and with patterns and with game and everything that goes with it, down to picking up leaves and checking the wind and feeling the rhythms of the land, it is the way. It is absolutely the way. And it hones your predatory nature. Man is a predator. I don't care what you vegans say. I know I have a few of them out there. I respect you. I appreciate you. But right now, if you take your tongue and you run it across your teeth, when you get to the eye teeth on the top, you'll feel those little vampire fangs are still there. Man is a predator. And when you bring that predatory nature out, you become more of that predator. And that's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you can't take care of people. It doesn't mean you can't care for your family. Lions take real good care of their cubs. But they are cold-blooded predators when it comes to feeding themselves. And I think being a predator the right way, as, as it is your nature... Will make you a better survivalist. So, how do you get started? I mean, I gave you a lot of stuff today, probably too much for one podcast. But you know, I want to give you a little bit of everything because I won't talk about this subject that often. Um. But the first thing I can tell you is go to a good archery shop, a good bow shop. Even if you want to save some money and buy a used bow, go buy a used bow. That's fine. Take it to the archery shop and say, look, I want to buy accessories from you. I want to pay you to tune it up. I want to get a new... Buy a dozen. I don't care if the bow comes with arrows and and rests and everything else. At least if you go to an archery shop and ask for advice, buy a dozen arrows from the guy. All right, put some money in his pocket because his advice is going to save you a lot of grief. Be clear when you go to your bow shop what your goals are. If you're gonna be a target shooter, that's one thing. If you're gonna hunt, tell them look I'm not interested in all these big stabilizers and everything. I want to make my bow as is, 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 is practical for hunting as possible. Um, talk to your bow shop guy about using a release versus using your fingers some states don't allow you to use a mechanical release unless you have a handicap some states they don't care if you use a mechanical release, I don't think a mechanical release is that big of an advantage as a hunter except when it gets really cold out and your fingers hurt and it's harder to hold the string back and I think that's what a mechanical release is a huge advantage but I would say learn to shoot Apache style three fingers first get a good glove, get a good arm guard go out there and learn to shoot with your your fingers first you may decide it's all you ever want to do um, next piece of advice I have go light with your bow at first if you go out and buy one of these compounds and it has the ability to adjust let's say from 45 to 70 pounds don't crank it right up to 70 pounds have a guy at the bow shop set it at 50 pounds for you you can always go back and turn the power up later all right learn to shoot by learning form and let me tell you something a 50 pound bow is all you need for hunting white tail deer anywhere in North America You know, in the beginning, when you're a new hunter, you're not going to be taking those really long shots anyway. 50-yard bow, 30, 40 yards, no problem. What more do you need? And uh, if you watch Ted Nugent hunt, you often see him out in the woods with a a 45-pound recurve. And you never see him have a problem putting that arrow right through a deer. So there is a place for heavier pulls. There's nothing wrong with extending your range, flattening your arrow's trajectory, um, anything like that, but start out light. Um, Again, practice a lot. I mean a lot. I mean every day. I don't care if you pick the bow up. Don't even go outside with it. You just draw it and then slowly let it down three or four times in the morning, and do that when you come home from work. Draw the bow every day, condition your muscles, condition your mind, program the computer in your mind. That's really what practicing with the bow is all about. Um, gain confidence. Every time you practice, every time you put that arrow right where it is, become more and more confident in what you're doing. When you finally go out there, and it's all on the line, and you have to be ethical and Humane and lethal all at the same time. You need the confidence. Absolute premium confidence. And I mean, I was a little bit cocky as a kid. 14 year old kid, just turned 14, been practicing for four months. But I said when I walked down those woods, I will not cripple a deer, and if I get the shot, I'm taking it, and it's going down. And I believed it 100%. That confidence is what gives you success. Now, hopefully, if you're an older person, you temper it with a little bit of wisdom and a little less arrogance uh, than I had as a kid. But the confidence is necessary as well. And my last piece of advice: just do it. If it sounds like something you're interested in, go out, get a decent boat. Don't go spend a ton of money on them. Look at Craigslist and find a used one, or go to a boat shop and say, "Look, I just want to learn to shoot. You know, give me an entry-level product. Um, you know, and ju- but just take the first step." Start putting some arrows into a target. Get a feel for it. Decide if it's right for you. You'll never know unless you get up and take a shot or two and make a decision for yourself after that. And there may be even some bow shops in your area We you can go in and they have rental equipment and you can shoot on a range and start to get some lessons and some training that way and make that decision before you go and invest. But if you think it's something that you want to do, let me just warn you of one thing. It's way more addictive than crack. Cocaine. It will go into your blood, and you'll be an archer for the rest of your life. But I happen to think that's a great way to start living a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.